ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Listen Closely with John and Chris. I am one of your two hosts, probably the less popular of the two. I am John, uh, and I'm joined out on the West Coast by Chris. Christopher, can you hear me? John, don't sell yourself short like that, man. I, oh, that kind listen. of negative talk. Well, you know, certain things I've just come to accept in my life as a sad reality. Uh, so, listen, it is late June. We are closing in on my favorite holiday of the year, July 4th. And, uh, man, I love summer. I love July 4th. And even though I have weird tan lines this year from having to wear an N95 mask, uh, it's... <laughs> It's still it's still great to feel sunshine and whatnot. I'm sure you would agree. Are, are you wearing the N95? No, I'm not wearing. I I wear it. You know, if I uh, go to the store, I'll wear the N95. But I got to be honest with you, that shit really hurts. And you know me, I have a rather large head. Uh, <laughs> so I I bought a three pack of N95, and this is no joke. I broke two out of the three just from trying to put it on my head. Um, but aren't the N95s, those are supposed to be reserved for the, the people on the front lines. How'd you get the N95? I, uh, I'll tell you about it when we're not dark recording. web. You go dark web for that stuff. I will tell you about it when we are not recording. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but, Fair enough. Uh, but, but speaking of uh, July 4th, and, and speaking of July 4th being my favorite holiday, with July 4th being my favorite holiday, I think this episode's album is sort of uh, my favorite Christmas album then. Do you know what I mean? It's hmm. this, uh, this album, to me, perfectly encapsulates carefree summer. Uh, it's, why, why don't you do the honors, please? It's a phenomenal, it's a phenomenal album. I love this album. I... But I think, I think you really love this album. Um, if this album were a woman, you would buy it a steak dinner and make sweet love to it. Um, it's nineteen seventy-six. Nineteen seventy-one. We're going to nineteen seventy-six. Uh, the album is the incredibly titled "Silk Degrees" by the incredibly named Boz Skaggs. What is Boz short for? You know, I looked that up, um, <laughs> and it's a nickname that he got in uh, like grade school, middle school. Uh, somebody, a friend started referring to him as Bosley, which has nothing to do with his <laughs> real name, which is William Royce Skaggs. Mm. Somebody started calling him Bosley for some reason, um, and it got shortened to Boz. Um, Incredible. Yeah. And I've one interesting thing, I don't know that I don't know that I've told you this. My ex-girlfriend, who you, you know well, this. Yes. her father went to school with Boz uh, to St. Mark's School in uh, I believe it was Texas or yeah, I think Texas. Um, imagine that. Probably the same school then that Steve Miller went. Uh, I, I was going to say that. I didn't know if you were saving that for your your intro, but yeah, yeah, they were both yeah. at the same school. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, I've had many nicknames over the years, most of them not flattering. I would kill to have a nickname like Boz. It's fantastic. It really is. Yeah. I, I think we should start this episode with a quote from the music critic Michael Little. 
uh, writing for the vinyl district.com in an October 2017 piece. I think he perfectly sums up the album's legacy and long standing, long running popularity. Little said, if you were alive and had ears during America's bicentennial year, you'll probably remember the boss was every bit as hard to avoid as Fleetwood Mac. But why would you want to avoid him? Silk Degrees is a small landmark in music making. And what's all the more remarkable is that nobody saw it coming. And, and I think that, again, perfectly sums up the album and a little bit of the backstory. You know, in 1976, our friend Bosley was in his early 30s, and he was a well-respected singer-songwriter, but hadn't really had much in the way of success. In this album, which is released in the same year, I think, as, as Fleetwood Mac's Rumors and the Eagles Hotel California, to name just two, mm. uh, catapults him into megastardom. And frankly, I think rightly so. The album is a sentimental favorite of mine, and I'm going to go on the record and say it is a favorite of mine. You're right. If this were a woman, I probably would have proposed marriage to her. Uh, <laughs> there are albums that we talk about on this podcast that are critically acclaimed. You know, there's albums that we grew up with that were released during pivotal moments in our lives. I think uh, if we were to go back, Chris, two months when we uh, did a deep dive on U2's Octung Baby, I think that that's the perfect example. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, it was released when we were freshmen in high school and and he sort of came of age to that album. Uh, But then there's albums like Silk Degrees, which were released before we were born, but seem to have been with us all throughout our lives, no matter where we went. And that's the case with me in this album. The songs are, you know, as as perfectly ingrained uh, in my mind from a very young age as as Happy Birthday was. Um, Mm. And I I think a lot of it just has to do with growing up in a family that uh, played a lot of music, uh, you know, played a lot of records. We are musicians that skipped my generation. <laughs> uh, my my nieces and nephews are incredibly talented. Uh, we have none. Um, but it's also, too, just where I grew up and how I grew up. Uh, as you know, I, uh, I spend a lot of time and all throughout my life have spent a lot of time out on Cape Cod, as have you. And... Uh, you know, Boz is the very definition of Cape Cod music. That sort of easy breezy, uh, slightly funk, slightly soul uh, music. And I kid you not, I just got back from Cape Cod about six hours ago. And uh, last night as I was packing up my bag uh, before I went out to dinner, because I knew I'd be leaving this morning, I put on the local radio station uh, and at the top of the hour, five o'clock, they did the traffic, weather, the news headlines, and that cut right into lowdown. Uh, it, it's like there's not a time I go out there that you don't hear them. A couple summers ago, I was hungover eating an egg sandwich at Wendy's out on Cape Cod, and they played What Can I Say? Now, that's, a, that's an interesting choice, right? You would expect deeper cut. Lido Shuffle. Yeah, but that's a, that's a deep cut. Um, but listen, the album is is polished. It's incredibly well-produced. It's accessible 1970s blue-eyed soul, and it encompasses elements of funk, reggae, disco, jazz, blues, ragtime. 
And by polished, I mean, you and I were, were texting over the weekend about this. Let's talk about the, the session musicians that play on this album with, with Boz. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's the, I mean, you've basically got the band. Pluto. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, you've got uh, David uh, Pake. Is that how you say it? I don't know if it's Pake or Pache. Uh, I'm not sure. Pache? I don't know. Yeah. And the Porcaro brothers who were, you know, founding members of Toto, David Hungate, who's a bass player. Um, and I think there might even be a couple others in there. It's basically Toto is, is backing Boz Skaggs on this album. Well, and I think this is how Toto got together initially, because I don't think Toto was a band prior to this album. Yeah, I, I don't think, think so either. Toto's first album came after right. this. Right. And you mentioned Porcaro Brothers. I mean, Jeff Porcaro was like the real-life Spinal Tap death, right? Did you ever hear the story of his death? No. What is that? Uh, he died in the early 90s, and the the news said that he died from a from – this. I'm not making this up – that he died from a gardening accident. Wow. That just he had like, – Yeah. Yeah, just like one of the you know myriad of, of Spinal Tap drummers, that he had <laughs> – an allergic reaction to an insecticide that he was spraying in his yard. Mm. Uh, when, the, when the autopsy was performed, they, uh, they said he had a heart attack brought on by excessive cocaine use. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, Porcaro yeah. gave us, you know, the, the intro to Rosanna, which is famously known as, I think, what's that? The Rosanna Shuffle. Yes. Um, and the, the drum intro to Lowdown. So that's, that's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, tremendous. You know, this one of the I'm sorry, go on. Well, I, you know, we did a, an episode on, on Yacht Rock a couple, couple weeks back. And, uh, you know, one of the things we talked about is how Yacht Rock is kind of a pejorative terms in, term in many circles. Um, but that Yacht Rock has, tremendous session musicians um you know and it's really a complex sound it's really very high caliber musical performances and i think boz sometimes he's not mentioned as much as as yacht rock but he he definitely is and i say that in the most flattering of of ways i mean this this you know he's got that blend of um r&b and uh everything there's jazz r&b even throws in some like honky tonk and some kind of caribbean jazz here and there it's this amazing blending of styles um with these really talented musicians but don't let boz hear you say yacht rock i read an interview with him in rolling stone magazine a few years ago he absolutely hates that term does he yeah he's thrilled to be lumped in with the likes of toto and steely dan but hates the term yacht rock. He he thinks it's it's tacky. Uh, but I would agree with you. I think this album is yacht rock uh, to a certain extent. But Bosgax himself is not necessarily yacht rock. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I think that's fair. And I think there's you know during that yacht rock episode we discussed the themes that uh, typically uh, encompass yacht rock songs. And I think this album is is very much indicative of that. You know, on the surface, you have what's very much a feel good, upbeat album. It's a it's a party album for your uh, 
bicentennial barbecue in July of 76, you know? Right. Uh, and I'm, incidentally, I'm convinced I was conceived to this album. I just want to go on the record. <laughs> I, I did the math, and uh, I truly think if you look at my birthday uh, and you do the math, you go back, and I was born a little late. Uh, I, I think something happened out there on Cape Cod on July 4th, 1976, and I think this album was playing. Um, <laughs> well, I was born two weeks after you, so I mean... Exactly. In the same boat. Uh, wow, that's... Uh, I, I don't know what song. I mean, probably not the obvious choice, which would be Harbor Lights, but I tend to think it was like, you know, Jump Street, or what can I say? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, a little more upbeat. Uh, yeah. A little more upbeat. But here's the amazing thing. It's, again, a feel-good, upbeat album. But when you scratch the surface and you look a little deeper, I'm sure you would agree that there's more than meets the eye with the album. And the lyrics tackle some downright sketchy topics. I mean, you've got... No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. I, I mentioned Jump Street, which I think is about prostitution. Um Certainly has some, yeah, some undertones there. <laughs> and I think drug abuse as well. Oh, totally. Uh, totally. Lido Shuffle, I think, is larceny. I think that's what it's about. Yeah. And, uh, of course, Georgia, which uh, we mentioned in the Yacht Rock episode, is about a man's, an older man's relationship with a much younger female, and it's probably uh, statutory rape. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'd add that the, <laughs> the power dynamic in that song seems to be like the girl is the one with the power over this guy. You know, it doesn't. Well, they have certain things we want. They do. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, just, just look at the goddamn album cover, you know, it, that alludes to something dicey in and of itself, right? You got, you got Boz sitting on a park bench and I'm looking at it right now and it's like a, a sketchy park bench and I don't know, it's by the water and it's either the photographs, either just after sunset or just before sunrise. Yeah. Um, you've got the perfectly manicured fingernails of an anonymous female mm -hmm. uh, and you see her, her uh, high heel in the far right corner. And then you flip the back cover and the woman's still there, but Boz is gone. Did he like pay her and just go home to his wife? I don't know. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very mysterious. It's very strange. I, I love it. I love it. It's, and, you know, there's this sense of mystery around this album, I think, in the title, too. I mean, Silk Degrees. <laughs> Let's talk about the title for a moment here. What the hell is a Silk Degree? Yeah, I, now I've read something from Boz himself about it. Have you have you heard his explanation of it? Yeah, it's something about how it was just sort of a an image that was in his head, but it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, it was such a letdown. He says, it was just something I had scribbled on the side of a page. The last thing I do after I record an album is name it. Uh, it Silk Degrees doesn't mean anything specifically. It's just an image I couldn't get out of my head. Um, but we've talked a lot about what, you know, what the connotation is or what you think of, you know, and, right. uh, you know, silk, I mean, silk, I think of like silk suits in the summer, like the degrees, the, 
you know, um, it just conjures such a, such an image. Do you have thoughts on like what it brings to mind for you? Yeah. Do you remember that, that show that was on in the 1990s called Still Hawkins? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was <laughs> right. I, it makes me something slightly erotic and slightly sleazy connotation brought on by silk degree. Yeah. Well, silk is sexy, man. I mean, and you know, I, I actually found in researching this, that a couple of things. One, there's a 1994 movie called silk degrees starring Deborah Shelton, who is a former Miss USA, Mark Hamill of star Wars, Luke Skywalker fame, and Gilbert Gottfried. And this uh, wasn't a hit? <laughs> um, yeah, it looked... I watched the preview. It looks pretty terrible. She's a uh, <laughs> an actress who w- witnesses a murder. Mark Hamill is part of the team that is assigned to protect her from this sort of mob boss who's out to eliminate her as a witness. Um, but, uh, yeah... Silk Degrees. Um, and there's also, there's also this company, Pravana. It's like a cosmetics company based in California. Okay. They have a line of products called Silk Degrees. Um, it's hair, uh, Silk Degrees hair color and hair care products for the professional stylist, which I saw that. I, I don't know who you think you are, Pravana, but you're messing with forces that are beyond your little hair care shop. Like we're talking about the boss here. You don't, you don't rip off the boss. No, that's sacrilege. Yeah. And I don't, I I can't imagine boss is getting a cut of this. Probably not, but I don't know that boss cares. I mean, he releases music on occasion. He tours fairly regularly, but I think he spends the most uh, amount of time. He, He owns a winery. In Does Napa Valley. Yeah. And I, I read something online how most celebrities who uh, decide to become vintners, is that the right uh, sure. right term? Uh, most of them fail miserably at it. But how Boz Skaggs makes legit good wine. Wow. I know. What can he say? Yeah. <laughs> um, let, Let's talk for a moment about the the critical reception of the album, because this is not one that's typically in critics' top 500, uh, even though it's probably in, like, my top five. Uh, But who am I? Um, (laughs) Upon its release, Rolling Stone magazine gave it four out of five stars. Village Voice gave it a B plus, calling it white soul with a sense of humor. Okay. The album peaked at number two on the Billboard Top 200 charts. And get this, at the 1977 Grammy Awards, Lowdown's best R&B song. Now, this is no small feat, given the amazing R&B that was out there in the mid to late 70s. Mm. Uh, this is, as I said earlier, the very definition of blue-eyed soul and I think it's important to note that Boz is very much a musician's musician. The average music listener knows Boz Gags for 
this album or maybe just one or two tracks off of this album. Anyone I've ever known who is an accomplished musician sings the praises of Boz Skaggs. I have a neighbor who is a professional musician. He plays the, I always get the trumpet and the trombone and the horns mixed up, but uh, he plays one of those three and he's played with the love by Tony Bennett, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, Wayne Newton, Wow, uh, to, to name a few. And he's really not much into rock and roll. But uh, Boss Gags came up in conversation one time, and he considers Silk Degrees to be a masterpiece. In particular, he considers Harbor Lights to be a perfectly written, performed, and produced song. So wow. that's, that's something to think about. Wow, that's fantastic, yeah. Um... But as with anything... There's a sleeper on the album. I'm sorry, there's a Nadir and a sleeper and a Zenith to the album. I'm curious to know what you decided on for your Nadir. This was incredibly hard um, because there's, to me, there's not a bad song on this album. There's really nothing even close to a bad song on this album. Um, I listened to this album probably four times this week, start to finish. And I don't think I ever had one moment where I thought, oh, I'm going to skip ahead. Um, you know, even on like the fourth go round through it. So in the end, I, I want to be clear that this, what I'm about to say, this is actually, I think one of the, one of the best songs on the album. I just don't think it fits on this album. And that's the last track. We're all alone one of his most famous iconic songs. Um, I, I had a feeling you were going to say that actually. Really? Do you, do you feel the same way? Before we get to my thoughts on it, I want to hear your rationale as to why you feel this has been dear to the album. Look, I, it's a, it's a fantastic song. And if it comes on the radio, I'm listening to it. Um, and then oddly enough, I, when I was thinking about what, what my zenith of this album is also considered we're all alone um, because it's so good. But to me, this album is, you know, it's very jazzy. It's this intertwining of jazz and R and B and all these different styles that are very layered. And uh, it's this complex sound um, where the songs, they all just, they sort of flow into one another Um not to say that they sound the same because something like Harbor Lights sounds far different from something like Lowdown, but there's this flow to the whole album um, that I feel stylistically is really similar. And then I think you, you get to we're all alone and it's a little more of like a standard love ballad um, that doesn't have that, that kind of jazzy R and B undertone to it. Um, and it's not just that it's slower. It's something about the, there's like a flatness to it. Um, you know, like a lot of the songs on this, when I listen to music a lot of the time, it's like payoff and then like build and then another payoff. And like, I want to go back and listen to the payoffs over and over again. Um, and with this album, I feel like there's not, a lot of that where you're just getting these quick little payoffs. It's just this constant great sound to it. If that makes sense. It does. Uh, and 
and I feel like we're all alone is a little more of what of the latter, where it's like you get kind of it's a slow build and then you get this fantastic payoff. Whereas the rest of the album, it's it's a little just different in style, a little more jazzy, you know, kind of one thing just flows into the next. I agree with you. I, I agree that we're all alone does stick out like a sore thumb at times. And yet I can't imagine the song not being on the album. And in a weird way, as much as it is not, really aligned with the other nine tracks i think it is on the album it there's something very calming and beautiful about having this album which covers a variety of different genres uh, but there's something really beautiful about having that song in this album i think i, I couldn't imagine it without yeah without i know what you mean and i, I mean i god i feel like I feel like I'm going to have to, you know, go to confession after this to, uh, to even have, have said that it's my low point of the album, but you might have to. Yeah. But I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. That it sort of is this coda where it wraps it all up. And, and honestly, I don't know that I would say like, you don't need it on the album um, because it's such a great song. But to me, there's something a little jarring when you get there where it's, it's just a little, a little different. Um, especially too, it comes right on the heels of Lido Shuffle, which is a little strange. I think yeah, to go yeah. from that to that. Yeah, they almost could have ended the the album with Lido Shuffle, maybe. Could have, yeah. I mean, I think it really speaks to though the like consistency of this album. That you know that that's where I got to go to find my my nadir. Um, I'm I'm very curious as to what you picked. It was also a tough choice for me, um, but it ultimately came down to one song in particular, and that is Love Me Tomorrow. Uh, yeah, look, it's a fine song. I like that it's got kind of a, a reggae flavor to it, because, again, how many different genres are, are popping up on this album? Um, I just think it's pale by comparison to the rest of the album. Uh, and it's important to note that this is one of the two songs on the album not written by Boz. This song <clears throat> was written entirely by David Page. Right. Um, and again, not a bad song. I just, when you put it alongside any of the other tracks in the album, this one just doesn't hold up as well for me. Hmm. Um. That's that's funny because I'm going to – unless you, do you have something else to say on that? No. Because <laughs> I'm going to lead us right into our, our sleeper picks if I can take, take the reins for a minute uh, because Love Me Tomorrow is my sleeper. You've got to be kidding. Yeah. Why? Because, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, it's, a, <laughs> it's an odd choice for a sleeper. Because I had never really noticed it before until I picked it up again this week. Uh, you know, that was one that I probably would have skipped over in the past. And this week I gave it a good listen. And I just think it's amazing that in 1976, in the middle of this album, you could drop in this sort of like Afro-Caribbean rhythms to this to this album. And, and it still totally fits and works. Um, 
I think it's got kind of an infectious hook. Um, I just think it's a good song that, that goes under the radar and, and brings like yet another dimension to this multi-dimensional album. Interesting choice. Very interesting choice. Yeah. What I disagree the... with you wholeheartedly, but it's an interesting choice. <laughs> I thought you would have liked that one. Um, I didn't think. No, you would... I, I admire it as a choice. I just, I, I think there are better sleepers on the album. I'll put it. Yeah. To you All right. Well, well, give it to me. What do you got? I ultimately went with track three, Jump Street, uh, which over the years has really grown on me. Uh, it's a little bit naughty, and I think it's a little more aggressive and rock and roll mm-hmm. than a lot of the other songs on the album, but it's got that kind of ragtime piano, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and those lyrics are, are really something else. Working girls just trying to get ahead. Somebody's bound to end up dead. And honey, you better stop coming down on me. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just think that the song works. I think it's it's fun. I think it's a little dark. Uh, I, I think it's very much the definition of a, of a great sleeper. It's funny. I, I almost went with that initially. That was going to be my nadir. Um, and then I listened to it a few more times, and it really grew on me. Interesting. Yeah. That was going to be your Nadir. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. Um, but I do, I, I really, you know, the more I listen to it, cause that had always been one I skipped over a lot, I think when listening to that album and, uh, you know, but really giving it a good listen this week, it's, it's kind of got like a honky tonk vibe to it. Um, a little bit, which, yeah, again, it's, it's kind of sleazy, which I like. And, uh, yeah, just another example of how sort of musically diverse this album is, yet somehow it all coalesces into this one this one thing. It's it's like a potamus drone, as far as I'm concerned. You know, it really it's is. got like a little bit of everything, but it just it it blends together so well. Um now with that in mind, lay it on me. What's your zenith? It's so hard. It's so hard. There's probably five songs I could have picked here. Um, But in the end, I went with Lowdown. Yeah, it's hard to beat, isn't it? It is so infectious. It's got that, uh, you know, that sleazy bass line, the peppy horns, the kind of tinny percussion. It's like I just picture Boz walking down the street, you know, strutting in like a white linen suit. Um, you know, it's been sampled by like dozens of, of, so uh, many. of people. Yeah. Including, uh, Blackstreet did it in a song called booty call. That's booty with an eye. John. Oh, oh, I like that. Yeah. As well as fresh kid ice, who was one of the founding members of two live crew. Um, he did it in a song, which I know you're a big fan of called long dick Chinese. Oh, one of the best. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, it's been sampled so many times for a reason. I mean, that, that baseline, it just, man, that stands the test of time. And you look at even, you know, rap artists in the, the modern era are using that because it's so damn cool. It is. And it's, it's interesting what you said about imagining Boz walking down the street in a white uh, linen suit, kind of strutting his stuff. 
I, I read somewhere that uh, when they were filming Saturday Night Fever, the producers reached out to Boz's manager and asked if the song could be used in the film uh, during a pivotal moment. Uh, could have very well have been the beginning when Travolta's walking down the street. And uh, the manager said, no, nah, we don't want it to be part of that movie. No one's going to watch it. Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> but look at the look at the popularity of that song without having appeared in a movie. Again, like I said a moment ago or a few moments ago, it won the Grammy Award in nineteen seventy seven for best R and B song. And Boss Skaggs, you know, on the surface is as white a man as they come. Uh it, it's I think that's a perfect choice as a zenith. It's not what I went. It's such a damn good song, and it's one that I never, ever, ever get tired of. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's incredible. It's incredible. What if you didn't go with that? What did you go with? So, <laughs> as as good as the songs are, every song is on this album. This one was an absolute positive no brainer for me, and I think you know what it is. It's track number two. It's Georgia. Um, I love anything and everything about this song. I mean, not necessarily the fact that it's about like, uh, you know, an older guy reminiscing about how he was boning a 15 year old or something like that, but well. it, <laughs> I mean, maybe, but it was the seventies. A lot of crazy shit was going on, <laughs> but after the harmless upbeat soul of what can I say? I feel like, and that's a great song, but Georgia really kicks the album into high gear. It's insanely infectious, it's upbeat, and the album's stellar musicianship is really apparent here. Uh, you have David Page, or whatever we want to call him. Uh, he is playing the Horner clavinet, which gives the song a fun sound. That's that staccato synth you hear about halfway through the song. Okay. which was used in a lot of R&B uh, songs in the mid to late 70s. And uh, I just think the brass is incredible in the song. You know, those horns are just, they reach this crescendo. It's, it's, the song is very, very horny. Um, <laughs> and yeah, of course, you get the sketchy lyrics, and he's recalling a tryst with an underage girl and you find out that, you know, he's, he's likely recalling that tryst from, uh, from his prison cell where presumably he's serving time for statutory rape. Um, and the, the howling that he does in the middle of the song with the clavinet in the background is just off the wall, but it adds to what I feel is the, the, the perfect, all the perfect elements of a, of a perfect song. This is Blue-Eyed Soul at its absolute finest. Yeah, it's infectious. I mean, it's so good. Um, I think that one of the reviews you read earlier, I read that same one, and later on he says it's, it's as bouncy an example of soaring pop craft as you're likely to run across anywhere. Um, and it is. I mean, it's, it it's soaring. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I never get tired of that song no matter how many times that I've listened to it. And to think that you have a song as good as that and a song as, as good as Low Down on the same album uh, really just continues to blow my mind. I think that really says a lot about this album in general. Yeah, and how about the fact that, I mean, Georgia, you don't even hear about Georgia when people talk about this album. 
you don't. I mean, it's lowdown. It's Lido Shuffle. It's um, you know, uh, we're all alone. We're all what alone. Can I say? You know, maybe something like the you know the first track. Um, what can I say? Or Harbor Lights, even. Yeah, but nobody talks about Georgia. Um, I mean, I hadn't even heard that song until I got this album ten years ago and listened to it for the first time. Um, yeah, it's incredible. It's, it really is. Now, how well do you feel that the album captures the zeitgeist of the era? I think it captures a a, a part of it impeccably well. Um, you know, maybe not the whole. I mean, the seventies. Like, there's there's just so much happening at that point in time. Um, this is true. So it's hard to say it really captures the whole zeitgeist, but certainly like the <laughs> like our parents, like the white suburban zeitgeist, it definitely captured. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think overall? I think it captures it quite well. You know, the seventies were a party, uh, one big party, uh, a, a weird one, but a party mm. nonetheless. And I feel like this is the soundtrack to a weird, slightly hedonistic, but really good time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think a uh, certain element of the seventies, I think it captures the zeitgeist quite well. Um, do you have any particular memories associated with this album or any, any moments in pop culture or anything that really, that, that keeps coming back into your mind? Uh, well, we talked with, you know, some of the things about the different ways that lowdown has been sampled and, um, I think just more in general, I mean, I don't have specific memories with this, but every time I think of it, like you said, I, I think of Cape Cod. Um, like it must've just been playing incessantly on the radio when we were going up there when I was seven and eight years old, which, you know, at that point it was mid eighties, but um, I'm sure it was a decade old, you know, still quite alive and well on the Cape. Um, oh, for sure. It still is. It still is. Yeah. Um, but it just has like, to me, this album, I can't think of it without thinking of like the beach and a boat and, uh, you know, maybe not beer, but maybe more like a, a wine cooler Spritzer, or yeah. you needy or something. <laughs> like uh, Nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's, it's the definition of, of summer, um, summer and fun. But with that, undercurrent of pathos like you alluded to earlier which makes it you know that takes it from being just like a oh fun like happy-go-lucky album to to something that's much deeper and uh i think you know i first got introduced to that probably up on the cape when i was a little kid probably and i think it was very much the same i'm, I'm quite certain it was the same thing for me and yeah I, when i think of particular memories there's a few things one cape cod and I mentioned it at the onset of this, this episode. Interestingly enough, you know, Boz plays almost every summer out in Hyannis at the Melody Tent, uh, with, without fail. I think this might be the first summer in, in years that he has not played the Melody Tent for obvious reasons. And, uh, I remember probably about five years ago calling you up and we were going to try to meet up out there because you get up there uh, on occasion. And it was a double bill. It was Boz Skaggs and Michael McDonald playing right. the Naughty Tent. And that just would have been amazing. Uh, for me, another particular memory, uh, I saw Boz live in concert. 
um, about 10 minutes from home. And this was late, late in the summer of 2008. And it was on a Sunday night and he played at this beautiful old theater nearby. And he was just so damn good. And there was something about seeing him on a, you know, a slightly chilly Sunday in mid September. Um, it was incredible. And, you know, he performed probably about half of the songs in Silk Degrees. Um, he, he did, uh, Lido Shuffle. He did Low Down. He did Harbor Lights. He, he performed Georgia. And that for me was, was an incredible moment. Um, and it was just amazing. I remember, I remember so many concerts that I've seen, but I, I remember that one so well. And yet it was 12 years ago almost. Which wow. Is and where, where was that? This was at the Klein Memorial Auditorium in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe not in the best neighborhood, but it's a beautiful old Art Deco theater. Yeah. And it was just a great performance. He took the stage to low down and the mm. place went crazy. And it was, uh, it was just incredible. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget it. It's great because um, it's a pretty, pretty small venue, too. I mean, it's pretty intimate. It's, yeah, I mean, I would say it's probably, what, not even 2,000 seats. Maybe it's 1,500-seat theater, so it's just... Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. To see a, a legend like that. Uh, and yeah. I got to say, he still sounded incredible. Uh, the voice was still spot on. And even now, 12 years later, I mean, Boss Gags is in his mid-70s. Hmm. And he still sounds great. And his band is just phenomenal. Um, Chris, what do you think? Perfect album? Yes, indeed. Um, I know I, I know I nitpicked a little with uh, "We're All Alone," but um, that's a pretty a pretty minor nick for me. How about you? You know, it's weird. I, in the conventional sense of perfect albums, no, it isn't. No, when you compare it to some of the other albums we've reviewed that that were. Critical Darlings, you know, uh, Octung Baby or uh, Elvis Costello's Imperial Bedroom. Those are your typical perfect albums. I don't know that this is your your true and tried and true perfect album, but in my opinion, it doesn't need to be perfect because it's perfectly fun. Uh, so it's, I guess my answer is yes and no, if that makes any sense. To me, it's perfect, but I, I don't think... In, in in the conventional terms, it, it's a perfect album. But I do feel that you can and should put this album on during your July 4th festivities, wherever those may be this year, no matter who's listening. Um, and I think your guests will thank you, unless they're Philistines or a bunch of millennial dipshits. Um, <laughs> I, Chris, I think you would agree, and we've, we've discussed this many times over the years, Great music is the perfect form of escapism. And absolutely. Who wouldn't want to escape the shit we've all been living through these last few months? And absolutely. This is that's why I never really got into grunge, because grunge was like the opposite of escape music, you know? And yeah. And and Boz, man, this album is quintessential escape music. It it really is. It, it, so I say put on this album, play it loud, and like the summer, which is all too short, savor every last fucking minute of this album because it really is a hell of a lot of fun 
And it's just going to put a smile on your face. And I think it's one of those things that if you put it on, there's going to be the reactions of the people at your July 4th party. There's going to be a couple people who are like, well, who is this? This sounds pretty good. Then you're going to have a few of those savvy people who are going to crack a smile and, and you can just read it in their face that they have certain memories associated with this. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And play it, play it beginning to end. Don't, don't skip around. Just play the whole damn thing because it's seamless. And if you can get your hands on the CD reissue that they put out about 10 years ago, uh, it has three live bonus tracks mm. from the 1977 Silk Degrees tour. And those are, uh, those are quite good. And it shows just what a great live performer Boss Gags was and is. Absolutely. Yeah, I have, uh, I have that version, actually. It's a great one. It really is. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts? Uh, no, it's a, it's a great album and I think it's, you know, it was your idea to do it at this time and I, I commend you because it's the perfect timing for it. Um, even though it's oh, a very unconventional summer, but, uh, you know, break out the bars, break out the bars, break out the wine cooler and, uh, light some fireworks. Maybe not while having the wine coolers. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, you don't want to go all Jason Pierre Paul on, on that. Um, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, have a wonderful July 4th. We are going on a brief hiatus, uh, but listen closely. We'll be back in two weeks with a very, very, very special episode. So don't go anywhere. You're making it sound like, a, the, you know, like they used to do with the sitcoms in the 80s. A very special. We're going to get deep on this episode. Like, oh, like the Full House Papuli episode. Yeah, when the grandpa dies tonight, a very special episode of Full House. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Jesse's grandfather who died. Like one scene, he's making I think baklava with, uh, with uh, the Olsen girl, um, and then the next season they're all the next scene rather they're all sitting around crying. Yeah, um, yeah, that was that was a really moving episode, wasn't it? It was. It was. I mean, hopefully, you know. Hopefully there won't be any death in our next episode, but uh, it'll be very special nonetheless. Well, way to way to really damper the mood from what was a fun <laughs> album and a fun I mean, episode. Fourth of July, Thanks, everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's been a it's been a messed up summer to begin with. You really had to go and put a damper on it even further. Good. Uh, uh, all right. Well, John, you enjoy the rest of your day, and uh, you do the same. Always a pleasure. Same here. Take care. Be well. Bye bye. <laughs>